Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. So I had a student who had a ton of language and, you know, he would talk all the time, talk in sentences, tell us what he wanted to do and that type of thing. Um, But he didn't request for things. He engaged in some negative behavior and it was typically attention seeking behavior, um, but didn't know how to get our attention appropriately. And we learned that obviously when we did a functional analysis, but he just didn't mant. Uh, for attention anyway. So we taught him how to man for attention by using some text cues and we faded out those text cues. And just by doing that simple approach, he stopped engaging in aggression. And it was really cool to see. So something that I find myself talking about all the time is that behavior is communication and they really are two sides of the same coin, right? And behavioral excess means that there's usually a skill deficit. Um, kids are not wanting to misbehave in order to just be, you know, bad or be challenging. They're trying to get their needs met and it's working for them in some ways. So they're trying to communicate something. So if they're trying to communicate something with their behavior, you know, we look to the typical functions of behavior. They're communicating that they want attention or that they want access to something, they don't like something, they want control. However, we interpret that to be, it means that they're trying to say something. And with the approach of FCT, we are looking at, well, how can we increase the skill and give them a replacement skill so that the behavioral excess kind of goes away. So they're not needing to engage in the challenging behavior because now they have this really nice skill that's also getting their needs that and is able to communicate their needs in a better, faster, easier way. And that's really the trick is it has to be better, faster, and easier than the behavior. And I really do think when we talk about the functions of behavior, the first thing we ask is someone says, oh, you know, this child's engaging in negative behavior. We're always like, well, what's the function? Why? And the first function is usually communication. So, you know, we have to somehow come up with a better question than just what's the function? Why? Um, But what's he trying to communicate? And that's what we're trying to teach first. But, you know, as we start to teach FCT and as we're teaching those mans, you know, the question is, well, where do we start and what mans do we start teaching? And, you know, the answer to that is, well, in your functional analysis, what is a student trying to communicate? Um, A lot of the times I'll look to the F 
section of the ABLES. So in that ABLES section, you know, it says, you know, can they label or sorry, can they request for, you know, reinforcing items? Can they request for what they want? Can they get their needs met that way? Can they request for help? Do they have appropriate protests? You know, can they say, I don't like that. I don't want that. Um, even if that's not why students are engaging in behavior, this is just an aside, but even if that's not why students are engaging in negative behavior, I teach protests almost right away because to me, that's a self-advocacy thing. Like I want students almost right from the get-go to be able to say, stop, I don't like it, stop doing that. Yes, that can bite, come back to bite you sometimes or haunt you, but um, it's just a really good life skill to teach. Um, you know, can they request for attention? Um, once they can start doing some of these things, then can they start asking WH questions? Can they, you know, you look at a student who is two, three years old, you know, not even a student, but just a kid who's two or three years old. They're asking constantly, what is it? What is it? What is it? Why? Um, and can our students do that? So look at that F section of the ABLES. That is really, really helpful when we're trying to teach some of this functional communication training. And when we're looking at the FCT as a replacement for challenging behavior, I think a common mistake is that, you know, we're teaching, requesting, and mandating, hoping that it will transfer into being able to request for what it is that they want, but not really teaching them to request the exact thing that they're engaging in the challenging behavior for. So if a student is engaging in challenging behavior, because, you know, they're running out of the room and they're eloping and you're thinking, well, I want to reduce eloping. So I'm going to increase functional communication by teaching them to manage for their snacks. Like they're totally unrelated. And so you have to think about teaching the functional communication that's going to get to the exact reason what it is that they want out of that behavior. So if they're running away from the classroom, then teach them to ask for a break and grant that every single time. So at the beginning, every single time, you just have to stop them right before they're running away, get that functional communication in, whether it's a sign, a picture, a verbal, any way that you can get it with the least amount of effort possible, and then grant that wish. So you're you're trying to pair that um verbal or vocal response or picture exchange or sign with the immediate reinforcement of the thing that we know they're most motivated for because that's what they're wanting out of the challenging behavior. So while we can always build up their math repertoire and their requesting and all of that verbal communication is so important, when we're looking at an FCT as a replacement for a challenging behavior, really think about it from their perspective and what are they trying to get out of this challenging behavior and just grant that wish, but grant it with you know, some words, phrases, pictures, or some other way that's not the behavior. Absolutely. And that FCT really does need to be functional, like Shira said. And then, you know, the reinforcement for that functional communication isn't, oh, good asking. It's, yeah, of course you can have that break. Yes, you can do that. You know, we can work later on on that tolerance and delay of, you know what, well, maybe just do one more and then you can have that. And maybe now we need to do two more or you got to wait a couple minutes and then, you know, do that. But at the very beginning, when you're trying to reinforce that functional communication and really teach it, the reinforcer for that functional communication isn't, wow, great job. You asked for a break. Here's a chocolate chip. Mm -hmm. No, it's here's the break. You asked for it. Take it. Yeah. So when there's a challenging behavior happening, my first you know, suggestion is usually just teach them to ask for it. Teach them to ask to, I don't know, knock down a tower. Teach them to ask to run away. Teach them to ask to play chase. Whatever it is that they're really wanting in that kind of challenging behavior, the first step 
is just teach them to ask. We can then get them to tolerate when it's not appropriate or when we say no or they have to wait. But that first step is really just learn them learning that they can ask for the things that they want. And at the beginning, they really get the things that they want. Um, and the other thing that we do at the beginning is not only teaching these FCTs in those moments of challenging behavior, but coming up with lots of ways to contrive and almost mass trial these situations. So if we know that someone is likely to engage in challenging behavior every time this situation occurs, or, you know, someone takes their crayon and they're likely to hit the kid next to them. Well, we're going to contrive lots of situations for them to be able to say, give it back. I don't want that. I don't like that. And so then when it does come down to that other kid grabbing the crayon, they've practiced it so many times. So don't just wait to use that FCT when they're already heightened or the behavior is about to explode, but think of what that FCT is, what it is that they need to learn, whether it's advocacy or protesting or communication and come up with ways that we can mass trial it and teach it because like any skill acquisition program, they need lots of trials and exposure to that skill to be able to learn it. I'm smiling in my head right now because Sherry, that's exactly what I was going to say. Never, not never teach in the moment, but in the moment when a student's heightened is not the time to teach. You can reinforce, you can remind the student that those options are there to communicate, but it's not the time to teach. If I'm heightened and someone's trying to teach me something, I'm not listening. It's going in one ear and out the other, or I'm escalating further because I'm saying, leave me alone. Um, so really set up a lot, a lot of opportunities when the student is calm outside of those teaching opportunities and or outside of those I guess, negative behaviors and really teach in other areas with the same types of, you know, role play, lots of different opportunities like that. Because remember, if it's not faster, easier and better, they're not going to use the language. They're just going to resort back to the behavior that was working for them. So we have to make those words just be so much easier. And the way for us to do that is just through lots of practice. I like that faster, easier, better, faster, easier, better. That could be our new HRE, faster, <laughs> easier, better. That could be us, Shira. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hashtag faster, easier, better. So in terms of data collection, what does that look like? So we usually look at frequency, frequency of either prompted or unprompted um, requests. So we would come up with what that FCT is that we want the students to be learning. So it could be give it back. I don't want to, I need a break, whatever it is. And then we'd put that onto a frequency graph. And just decide if we're taking data on only the unprompted or both prompted and unprompted. Um, and then fill that graph. And hopefully you're seeing those unprompted requests increase and they're able to use their FCT. You could also take data on contrived versus non-contrived situations. So you could have data on your kind of mass trialing of the FCT where they're able to do that unprompted and then have separate data collection on like when it really came up more naturally or incidentally, were they able to use that FCT instead of the challenging behavior? Um, so there's lots of ways to collect data on whether or not this is working. Most of them are some sort of frequency data. Um, and that's how we would do it. I've seen, I've gone into different places and I've seen people who have like six different clickers hanging off them. They're all different colors and every color means something different. I personally can't do that. I think I've talked about this a million times already. I'm not capable of multitasking that much and paying attention to the kid in front of me who I'm actually trying to teach. So what I typically do is I usually have one or two clickers and I will, you know, take data on, you know, the spontaneous comments and the prompted comments, or I guess man's in this case, um, or I will just take data on the spontaneous man's. And I would actually define that. So, you know, I don't want to just say spontaneous man's because 
if I've got a learner who's talking in five word phrases and my data collection is on spontaneous manding and it's, you know, they, they start speaking in one word phrases and I'm counting that my data is going to look really good. Although what's actually happened is I've decreased their mean lines of utterance because they're going back to one word phrases. So when I'm taking that data, I'm actually collecting it on that specific F FCT that I want to teach. So it is you know, I want them to ask for a break and I want to take data on them exchanging a break card or I want to take data on, you know, them saying, you know, I would like a break, please, or whatever the language is surrounding that. And that's specifically what that click is going to be for when it's spontaneous. And something that you want to be very careful of is developing kind of a chain of responses. So sometimes when we're teaching FCT, um, you know, I had a student who used to bang his head and he would bang his head in order to get him out of the head banging, you know, he'd want his iPad. So if he got his iPad, he would stop head banging. So we were trying to teach him some sort of FCT in between to just ask for his iPad instead of head banging. But a very common mistake was that he would bang his head. Someone would come over with the picture of the iPad or prompt him to ask for the iPad and then he would get the iPad. So he was learning this chain of responses of I bang my head. Someone prompts me to ask for the iPad and I get the iPad. So there's very little motivation or reinforcement for an independent response without the head banging because it's so much faster, easier and better for him to get the iPad with the head banging. Like it's his hands right here. He doesn't have to put in any effort. Um, so if we are seeing any kind of challenging behavior and we're looking to replace it, it's really important that you do a transfer trial. So if a student, for example, bangs their head and you want to, you know, they want the iPad. So you do want to prompt that language. You can go ahead and prompt it but then do some sort of transfer trial. So that would mean you prompt them to ask for the iPad. They say iPad, you have them engage in some sort of response. So it could be an imitation, do this, clap your hands, what's your name? And then say, what is it that you wanted? Or prompt them again to ask for the iPad. And then you've kind of separated those two responses. They're hopefully not only associating the headbanging with the requesting of the iPad. They could have a somewhat independent request, although for data purposes, it's still part of the same trial. Um, and then you would give them the iPad for that request, not for the first request where it was right after the head banging. So it's really important that we're not developing these chains of responses, especially when FCT is trying to replace that challenging behavior. We have to be really careful to either prompt that FCT at a precursor, so like right before the behavior happens. And if we didn't get in early enough and the behavior happened, having some sort of transfer trial so that you go back to the beginning of that. Um, we do have a, another video on the purpose of transfer trials, what they are and how to use them. And we'll link that to that here. Um, also, just to go back really quickly, um, talking about differential reinforcement. So when you are teaching the functional communication training, you know, like Shira said, oftentimes we do have to prompt, especially at the beginning. And if we're prompting and then doing a transfer trial, that's okay. Absolutely. We need to prompt to learn. Um, but the differential reinforcement comes in play, right? So if you have to prompt something, you do a transfer trial and, you know, then your learner can get, you know, a small break or a small item of what they requested. Um, but if they're doing it independently or more independently, differentially, re differentially reinforcing means that you would actually give longer or more of if they're requesting on their own. So for instance, if a student says, you know, um, you know, tries to run out of the room, you know, I get to them and I can say, you know, what do you want? And they can say, you know, can I leave the room or I need a break or whatever it is, you know, I'm going to give them a tiny little break. But, you know, if they spontaneously say, I need a break, I'm going to give them a long break because they asked independently. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too.
For more from How To ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com. And make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.